This is the OK Outcast Podcast, your home for Oklahoma political intrigue and insight. Hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Christopher? Hey, I cannot complain, Brittany. I mean, I could, but uh, (laughs) we've got a lot going along in our world right now, don't we? Oh, we sure do. Plenty going on. Now we got, uh, I know you got a lot of work going on with your initiative petition process. And uh, I've got a lot going on with my work and with some family stuff had to deal with. But things are looking up. Um, How are things looking in the Oklahoma legislature? Are we actually going to get that scene at the coming soon? So... Word on the streets is this Friday, they will either adjourn to a call of the chair or, or adjourn to a date certain. So rather than a full synodia, what this allows them to do is come back in and override anything the governor might veto. Is so, there anything specifically they think the governor is going to veto that they're worried about? Uh, the budget. Okay. It's always the budget. Sure. How are the? Do you have any intel on how budget negotiations are going? Are we looking at the deal getting done soon? So yeah, uh, the prediction is by this coming Friday, they will adjourn to a date certain or to call of the chair and get out of the building, go start campaigning, and then uh, come back if the governor vetoes anything and override the veto. Gotcha. That, that's the prediction. Is there anything else on their agenda before the end of the session here as they're getting towards their budget deal? Oh, just massacring marijuana laws, despite the fact that they bring in a huge amount of revenue and messing with women's health. That seems to be the <laughs> main policy priority. Yeah, I saw uh, Minority Leader Emily Virgin posted something uh, to Twitter about this morning that we're recording on a Wednesday here, the 18th of May, uh, that I guess they were hearing another total abortion ban. Uh, this one would, um, be similar to the Texas style. So it would be enforceable by private citizens filing suit. And it sets the, uh, life begins at, um, fertilization. So, uh, Representative Virgin was very concerned that uh, this is going to lead to people filing law- lawsuits against um, in vitro fertilization providers and such for people who are trying to have kids. And um, for people who don't know, that process often involves implanting multiple fertilized eggs and only, you know, one or two are likely to actually take and so the others don't take so that the the doctors performing that under this law could be found civilly liable for um, basically murdering these zygotes. Uh, we have a mutual friend who uh, had a miscarriage and had to do a medical procedure. It was drug induced because the fetal tissue, which was just completely unviable, was 
rotting in her uh, uterus. Like it was killing her, literally, not figuratively. And luckily, this friend is in a different country where um, that procedure is still allowed. But under some of these new laws, even an in, in, in viable fetus constitutes an abortion. It's not just a medical procedure anymore, which is quite frankly ridiculous. It's No, it's abhorrent. It's not ridiculous. It's abhorrent. Well, and it's so out of step with where Oklahomans' views on abortion actually are. I think that's one of the strangest things to me is how divergent the views of the legislature are on this from where voters actually are. And it almost seems to me like a lot of people just aren't paying attention to the details. And um, because most most Oklahomans, I think 52% believe abortion should be legal in at least some circumstances to save the life of the mother in the case of rape and incest. You know, there's definitely a majority of Oklahomans don't believe it should just be outlawed from the point an egg is fertilized and everything should be off the table from there forward. That's a very extreme viewpoint that only like, you know, 17% of the electorate actually holds. But yet that's the vast majority of our legislators hold that view and continue to push this red meat that just seems you know let's go after drugs and go after abortions because it's just the old right-wing tropes and they don't even really consider the nuances of the policy involved i would completely agree it's uh i've seen some legislators and i'm going to name name names here uh, now that we're toward the end of the session there was a former house rep uh shane jett um, He's now a state senator, right? That's correct. So he left the legislature for a while, came back as a senator. And when he was a House member, he was a very reasonable, centered Republican. And now that he's come back, he is just crazy a go-go. And I've seen this with a couple different legislators that I viewed as extraordinarily reasonable people that now have just turned into crazy people. I mean, I know you're further to the left, I'm a little further to the right, but for the most part, we can kind of come together and agree on stuff. And that's how the legislature used to work. That's how a lot of legislators, uh, legislatures used to work. And uh, that's how the US Congress used to function. Like we come together in the middle and, you know, uh, it's this is where I respect Joe Manchin because uh, I, even though I don't like him, he just says this is too expensive. I don't want to spend this much money. Um, there is another. Well, US yeah, Senator. I mean, like his position or not, he at least will tell you where he stands. Oh, he's standing in the Senate. Um, but where are you right now? I'm in an elevator, duh. <laughs> so I'm going to move us swiftly along because uh, of time constraints. And 
I want to talk about, oddly enough, a ridiculous reality TV show. Uh, it's called Impractical Jokers. Uh, we've talked about this before. <clears throat> and this moves us in a strange way to talking about violence and gun violence. Because I said to you one time, hey, if this happened in Oklahoma, people were throwing chicken nuggets at your head or, you know, insulting your uh, spouse or whoever you're with in Oklahoma, that would get you killed or at least beat up. You spend a significant time in Minnesota. Uh, and we've both been to New York. Why is there such a disparity between the context of like, you're, you're talking shit so you're either going to get beat up or shot but up north it's more like uh just move away avoid the situation what's the difference there yeah that's a great question chris and you know it really comes down to uh how we define self-defense in the various states because that's that's a state issue that's not something decided by the federal government so, on, you know, on any kind of criminal matter that's generally, you know, unless you're doing it interstate, you know, most crimes are done in one place and the state officials handle that. And up north, most states do not have the stand your ground doctrine, uh, which has been adopted largely in the southern states and exactly the states you would expect. And what that means is in a stand your ground state you can be out in public and if somebody steps to you you have a right to step up and defend yourself um and and so you can use self-defense even if you're just out and about in public in the northern states it's not quite that simple um particularly minnesota and the northeast um, they are much more old school and, and over years our common law kind of came to evolve that if you're just out and about in public and somebody steps to you, your first option should be to flee. And with the idea being that we don't want to encourage people to escalate situations. And so in a place like Minnesota, where there is no stand your ground law, um, a great example would be like the C.C. McDonald case. Uh, she was a trans woman who was out walking uh, around midnight in her neighborhood in the Minneapolis area. And she walked by a bar where a bunch of people were smoking cigarettes and drinking outside on the patio. A group of them began making transphobic slurs towards her. And rather than continue on with her evening, she stopped, turned around, and began yelling things back to them. And the situation escalated. At some point, somebody hit her over the head with a beer bottle, and she took out her scissors and stabbed this woman who ended up bleeding out and dying. And she tried to claim self-defense, um, but that was, uh, that was not looked upon kindly by the jury or by the prosecution because in Minnesota, 
she had a duty when they were yelling slurs at her to keep walking and not escalate that situation. And so under Minnesota law, the mere fact that she came back and can, and escalated it, you know, from them just yelling slurs to now it becomes a physical altercation, well, she's now liable for that and doesn't get to claim self-defense. Whereas in Oklahoma, we had a recent case where uh, a gentleman who's yet to be identified by prosecutors was driving his red Camaro through Norman and uh, a black man who lived in the area who was out jogging. Uh, from what we can tell of what his family's saying, sounds like he had had an issue with cars driving too fast down uh, the road in that area. He apparently began approaching this red Camaro. The driver had his windows down, claimed that he felt scared that this guy was about to come carjack him, shot him to death and drove off. And in Oklahoma, the prosecutor is saying, oh yeah, it's a stand your ground state, so we can't prosecute this guy. Now I disagree that stand your ground necessarily covers this situation. But it just goes to show, by even being able to, to legitimately make a stand-your-ground claim, it can ward off prosecution in a way that just wouldn't work up north. Yeah, it, it, and it's, it's definitely a race-sensitive issue. There was one time I was taking a morning walk, and uh, there was a guy with his kids in one of the overbuilt trucks that had never seen off-road or farm experience whizzing by at uh, 50 to 60 miles an hour in my residential neighborhood in order to get his kids to school on time over at Westminster, uh, which is an extraordinarily expensive, it's a good school, but it's extraordinarily expensive. And I flipped him off and he screeched to a halt, rolled down his window, and started an altercation. I truly believe, given what happened in Norman, if I had been black, I would be dead. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's it's almost impossible to separate race from these these issues and these cases. Um, you know that those actually tend to be some of the situations where this comes up the most. Um, and, you know, as you can expect in the southern states, prosecutors and legislators have come up with more excuses for why people who are afraid should be allowed to, to shoot first and ask questions later. And up north, they've just determined that that's too risky, that that invites too much uh, opportunity for people to escalate situations. And, you know, I'd, I'd say it's, you know, at least in the crime rates, the crime rates are higher in places with stand your ground than they are in places that don't have it. So, you know, if, if you're arguing that stand your ground somehow would, would make crime less likely because people have to be afraid that if they do something to you, you can retaliate. It just doesn't seem to track. Um, it seems like, it, if anything, it gives people excuses to escalate. So speaking of 
escalation. Um, I'm going to move the topic a little bit forward here, but still related. Um, a terrible massacre happened in Buffalo, New York. Oh, yeah. And, like, it just abhorrent. Sorry, that's the second time I've had to use that this podcast. And, uh, you know, he's going on trial. And if found guilty, can the state put him to death in New York? No, um, that's another area where a lot of northern states are a little different. Um, you know, and throughout most of the Northeast and the upper Midwest, uh, the death penalty has been banned for many, many years. Um, New York is one of those states that has has ended uh, the death penalty, so that will not be on the table for state prosecutors. Um, now, to the degree that if this were determined to be an act of federal terrorism, uh, if, if federal charges could be brought into play, it is possible that, that he could be executed under a federal death penalty, um, but he definitely will not be executed if this is treated as as just a state crime. So, moving on from the strictly legal side, do you believe he should be killed for this alleged crime if he is convicted? Personally, no. Um, I'm. I mean, my personal view is that I just think the death penalty is. Uh, should be off the table altogether. Um, I don't find it to be a good practice. Uh, Minnesota ended the death penalty in 1906, a year before Oklahoma even became a state. And yet, and Minnesota has half the murder rate per 100,000 people that Oklahoma does. So I don't find it to be anything that deters people. Um, and I think the risks of it getting used wrong uh, are much higher than than is worth, you know, the few cases where it might actually be warranted. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I was sad the day Tim McVeigh was executed. Didn't really bother me. I was fine with it. He knew what he did. He had, you know, we all knew what he did. Whatever. But to me, that doesn't that doesn't make it okay, and I don't. I don't think the state killing people to show people killing is wrong really works. There was an Onion article a couple of years ago, making fun of Oklahoma, talking about how a uh, a division of corrections went to go to Home Depot to get a bag of chemicals to perform. Uh, you know, lethal injection. And Oklahoma has really tried to get around the lethal injection. Uh, Shoot, that, that Onion article is actually less farcical than what Oklahoma actually did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least in the Onion article, they went to a legitimate legal source to buy chemicals. In reality, they actually broke laws and illegally imported illegal drugs into the U.S. Well, I, I tell you, though, if I were faced with life in prison, which, uh, knock on wood here, won't happen because I don't break the law like that. <laughs> I mean, I speed, but, you know, uh, 
the uh, the fact is, if I were to face face uh, the death penalty or life in prison, first of all, kill me. I, I don't want to spend my life in a box. And second of all, we had a system that was actually the most humane system. You had a guy blindfolded or a girl, I guess, in some cases, blindfolded, tied to a pole. And you had seven marksmen, three of which had blanks, four of which had live rounds. They all fired simultaneously and it was done. I think that is more humane than pumping somebody up with chemicals that you bought off the black market. But, you know, I, I, I would agree. Um, I, I think, you know, sadly, a lot of people have it in their mind that this lethal injection process is just this calm, quiet process. And as though we, um, do everything, you know, it's like putting a dog to sleep or something. And it's just not the same thing at all. Um, the drugs Oklahoma was using are, are causing people to go into severe pain for up to 30 minutes um, without being able to really move or talk or, you know, express that pain very well. So they gurgle and they, you know, make a lot of like their body kind of jerks a little, but they're almost paralyzed. And so they can't even fully express what's actually going on. And uh, the one where they bungled it and the guy actually survived, you know, he his testimony was such that, you know, there was like 20 minutes or something where it just felt like his whole body was on fire. Um this is not, you know, lethal injection as it's being done currently in Oklahoma is not humane in the slightest. And you're right. I, it would be more humane to just give somebody a shot to the head quick and painless and be done with it. Um, and it's funny, I think a lot of people, um, you know, think that somehow that barbaric you know shooting somebody is so barbaric but you know the death penalty is barbaric and you know maybe it would help people see how barbaric it is if we went back to the the firing squad which is actually more humane well and that circles us back to visceral reactions that human beings just you know it's the human condition and you know, we were talking earlier about how, you know, if somebody insults you or insults your spouse, you know, make some insulting comment, uh, your visceral reaction is to attack. Uh, you know, nobody talks to my girl that way. And <clears throat> in this case, the visceral reaction is, ooh, Getting shot in the head is gross. We have to look at that. Yes. I think anybody that eats meat should watch it be butchered once. Like, if you find that so gross that you're like, you know, meat isn't something that just comes in the plastic packaging. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think, you know, we've part part of the, you know, we've 
technology has brought us amazing lives and allowed us to do amazing things, but it has also separated us as a society from, you know, the, it's allowed us to kind of put a, a, a big wall up between, you know, what we actually need done to keep society flowing and, you know, we don't have to see it. We just put it behind a wall and pretend it's not there. And, you know, I think there is something to be said for just let's be honest about what we're doing here. Um, I completely agree. If and, you if you want a human dead, shoot him in the head. <laughs> and if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> <laughs> then get sued later in a civil suit. Yeah. Yeah. So well, uh, that's... let's move on to a happier topic. Yeah, uh, race let's cars do that. And basketball. Woo! Race cars and basketball. Yes. So talk about race cars and basketball, Brittany. You're the expert. Oh man, this has been a fantastic week for me. A fan of IndyCar racing and a huge OKC Thunder fan. Um, first, I'll start with the Thunder. Last night we got the NBA draft lottery happened. Um, so the Thunder were losing games on purpose throughout most of this year, you know, trying to just develop young players and not put out too many wins so that they could have a better chance at a top pick in the draft. Um, all the experts are saying this is like maybe a three-person draft, so if you don't get one of the top three picks, then, you know, you might be really SOL. And in this case, the Thunder had only the fourth best chance to move up into the into the top pick. And despite only having the fourth best odds, the Thunder ended up with pick number two. So it's an amazing win for the Thunder. They moved up two spots from where they would have naturally been. And uh, big deal. And the last time Thunder GM Sam Presti got to pick number two in the draft, he drafted a guy named Kevin Durant. So this could be really good, really exciting for Thunder fans. And then on the race car end of things, this is the start of Indy 500 practice. Uh, they started practicing for the race yesterday. Um, they'll be practicing the rest of the week qualifying to set the field of 33 coming up this Saturday and then the race uh, a week from Sunday the the day before Memorial Day um, Indy 500 one of the greatest sporting spectacles in the world uh, the largest single day sporting event I got to go to the 2018 edition and I will tell you it was like nothing else I've ever been to and I highly recommend uh, checking it out if you've never watched before. Absolutely. I mean, you got me into the e-racing, and uh, that's basically electrical race cars. They're, yeah, they're Formula E's fun stuff, too. They got some yeah. more races coming up as well. So my favorite racing is the ponies. So I would ask you, I'm pretty good at betting the ponies. Uh, I should have bet in the Kentucky Derby because I had a pretty strong feeling of that 80 to one horse coming through. Oh, you didn't bet, put any money down on the Derby? No, I, I usually do, but then I got busy and oh, no. I, I, I know I, I, I would have made about $8,000, but uh, 
do people ret uh, bet not ret <laughs> do people <laughs> bet on uh uh racing in the same way that they bet on horse racing uh, a little bit um there's not betting like at the track um but you know some of the sports books do offer betting on it and you know as sports betting is becoming legal in more and more states um indycar has started uh doing more of their daily fantasy type stuff where they've set up some fantasy leagues and they're coming up with a system to hopefully get themselves placed maybe on one of the daily fantasy sports sites soon as well as being able to to fully go in and bet because that is where sports are headed so um well yeah i've, I've been there since uh 2000 when i worked at remington park uh we uh, called in bets all the time um i'm not going to say horse racing is corrupt but uh it's uh it's difficult sometimes <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah I, I think if betting gets in there I, I, it just makes it more fun it makes you care more well i i tell you what for any of those folks who know racing or want to potentially look into betting on the indy 500 uh, a guy whose odds are probably not going to be as high as some of the others, but who you should definitely have an eye on, Jimmy Johnson, the seven-time NASCAR champion, is in his second season of IndyCar racing as a 45-year-old, um, and while he has not performed great in the street and road course events, he got a sixth place finish on his first oval run at Texas uh, back in April. And he's also um, just yesterday in the practice two for the Indy 500. He already had the third fastest time on the charts yesterday. So I look to him, I'm looking for him to be a real threat to possibly win this race for the first time as a 45 year old rookie. Um, How how do morning line odds work on the car race track? I don't know because I haven't ever bet on them. Um, I, I have okay. been doing the IndyCar fantasy this year, but not for money yet. I'm still still learning that aspect of it. But uh, I can't wait until they get into the paramutual betting and have you know box trifectas uh, and wheel quintellas and all of that pick sixes and all of that stuff. Uh, and if they do that, you will have a new close friend in racing because then I'll actually pay attention more. Yeah, cool. Well, I think they're getting there. So I'll uh, I'll keep you updated on that end. And with that, it's probably a good place to wrap up our episode. You got anything else you need to plug before we get out of here? Uh, sign the petition if you're in Oklahoma for 818 and 819. And with that, I think we should probably sign out. All right. Thank you, listeners. Sina Dia, everybody. Uh, Sina Dia. <laughs>